Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer, and my guest this week is Jan Esman, who lives in Denmark. And um, Jan was recommended to me by my friend Anatole, who recommend, recommends a lot of people. And I've read quite a few pages of information on Jan's site, and in my opinion, he has a very fascinating story to tell and uh, has had a very sort of fascinating spiritual journey over the last many years. So, welcome, Jan. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah. Um, I read all that stuff from your site that I recommended you that you recommended I read, and, and I would recommend that our listeners read that as well. Um, and people some, I get feedback from people sometimes saying, you know, enough of the stories, it's just mind candy, why do, you have to, why do people have to all tell their stories? But other people say, I love the stories, you know, I can relate to them, they, they sort of, you know, make it seem more like it's possible for me too, if it's possible for this guy. And um, so, I usually get, invite guests to, uh, you know, do whichever they feel is most appropriate, either to tell their story or to just sort of tell their teaching if they have one. But in your case, since you don't seem averse to telling your story, you've told it in some detail on your website, uh, and it, I think it's quite fascinating. Um, if you don't mind, um, perhaps we can go through it, because most people listening to this, to this will not have um, read your website and would probably rather hear you tell the story personally than just have to sit there and read it in print. Yeah, sure. No okay. problem. Great. So, so start wherever you like. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we can do it chronologically. If that makes sense. Yeah, in some way it does, because uh, I have re recollections from very, very early, lying in the crib, before I had any language or anything. And I would go into states where I would become full of light and bliss and totally catatonic. I couldn't mm. move. So you're just an infant, and you remember that. I was an infant, yes, and I remember this. Mm -hmm. And I would have these experiences going on again and again later in life. That's why I recall them, probably. Um, and they would come back when I meditated later, without being catatonic, but the same bliss, the same light. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't know what was going on then, of course, so I, I just, when I got a language, I termed the, the state the log, because I was like a log when uh -huh. it happened. <laughs> uh -huh. um, yeah, but that, that, uh, that went on and off until I was about seven years old. And then uh, I had a fairly boring childhood, I think. And then when I was about 16, 15, 14, probably 14, I decided to meditate. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't know anything about meditation. So uh, I just sat down cross-legged on the floor and uh, looked inside. And suddenly something exploded up my spine hmm. and uh, blasted me out of the head, out of the body. And there I was about three feet above the body, swinging from side to side in extreme bliss. Hmm. And my heart would uh, beat rapidly and I would sweat and hairs would stand on end. And so you were still feeling your body even though you were three feet above it? I was, I was feeling my body completely, and the bliss was very physical. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just a, a out-of-body bliss kind of thing. It was very, very physical. Mm. But some vantage point was three feet above it. Yeah. Swinging from side to side. Mm -hmm. 
uh, very rapidly. It was an odd experience. Um, that was my first meditation. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad. Got, Not got your bad. money's worth there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, of course, I was very enthusiastic, and I told my family to meditate, but uh -huh. uh, nothing happened when they tried it. What did they think of the, f the experience you had had? I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they thought I lost it a bit. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I, I did this on and off. No, I had some other kind of meditative experiences where I went out of the body. And I was listening to music with, he with the headphones on. Mm -hmm. I listened to Baroque music, Bach and Hintel, like that. Um, and I would also get full of bliss and light and uh, frequently leave the body. I don't know about this leaving the body stuff. I don't care about it, but it happened. Just spontaneously. Yeah. And then when I was 17, I decided to learn proper meditation. And for some reason, transcendental meditation was very popular in the 70s. Yep. This was in 77. I was teaching it myself back then. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> So I learned Transcendental Meditation, and I had the same out-of-body and bliss experiences during the uh, the week of initiation. Mm -hmm. And the teachers didn't know what to say about it, so I just, you know, thought, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, experience. as teachers, we many of us were rather ill-equipped, I'd say, but, you know, in, because our own personal experience wasn't necessarily any as profound as the people we were teaching, but we, mm -hmm. had, we had sort of a lot of rote learning a lot of actual memorization and and all, but you know sometimes things would come up that were not within the context of what we had learned and memorized and you know so you either had to pretend you knew something or just say you didn't know or whatever but you know it was a sort of a compromise Maharishi had to make I think in order to have tens of thousands yeah. of teachers yeah probably a good compromise you reached a lot of people yeah it, it, did, it did that yeah well, I did the TM uh, practice, and I had a lot of blissful samadhis. Mm -hmm. um, I also had some unconscious samadhis, which were very, very profound. What do you mean by that? I mean, I would meditate for uh, like two minutes, mm -hmm. and then I would have a feeling, now I have to stop meditation. I would look at the clock, and half an hour had passed. Right. And I was just gone. I had no sense of anything, any time passing or anything. And you hadn't been asleep. I hadn't been asleep, definitely not. Right. It's like your head wasn't like down on your chest. No, 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 no. <laughs> I've had a few of those. <laughs> <laughs> so have I. <laughs> uh, well, and I would be extremely blissful. And the crown chakra would be uh, sizzling with energy. The, the skull would be sizzling with energy. Um, it was just, you know, an experience, a good meditation, in a long line of, of other good meditations. Um, I've been very uh, fortunate to have good meditations, I think. And with all these good meditations life. you're having, what was that doing to the rest of your day outside of meditation? Yeah, in the beginning, nothing. Mm -hmm. But then I had a very, very special experience. I don't know if you've heard of the blue being. Have you read Muktananda? I read his books. Yes, the blue pearl. The blue pearl, and there's a blue being inside oh. the blue pearl. Okay. And I don't know what the blue pearl means, or um, 
Yeah, but he's the only one I've ever heard use that term. But I mean, yeah. bl blue being is sometimes you know a term for Krishna. Krishna is said to be a blue. Yeah, uh, and Shiva. Yeah, who knows? But uh, Muktananda speaks of a blue being. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I hadn't read Muktananda at the time, so it's probably not relevant. Okay. I was uh, meditating, and for some reason, I got an intense longing for God. Mm. This is when I was 19. Doing, doing TM still? I was doing TM still, then I suddenly stopped TM, and I was just full of this longing for God. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, I thought of God as Krishna. Okay. I had read a Hare Krishna book earlier, and uh, probably that's why. So I was thinking about Krishna, and an eye appeared for my inner eye, an mm -hmm. eye. An eye, like an, an eye. eye. Yeah, an like an eye. Okay. For my before my inner vision. Mm -hmm. And I looked at this eye and I got extremely blissful as the, as usual, the, the usual intense bliss. And uh, the uh, the center of the eye turned out to be blue. Cyan blue. Mm -hmm. Very clear like the, the blue sky. Right. And I had an intense feeling I had to look at this this blue pearl, which it probably was, and, and enter it. And fortunately, I entered it. You and had I a went, choice? I could have said no, yes. Okay. Definitely. But I went into this blue pearl and entered a space of infinite blue consciousness that was mm. infinitely blissful, infinitely pure being, pure awareness, everything you could desire as a meditator. And um, at this point, I can hear non-dualists saying, "Who is this I that entered it, yeah. and, and how does consciousness have a quality such as blue, and and so on and so forth?" Uh, it's very uh, mysterious. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could explain it, but I yeah. don't know. Now we we. Um, this this is just as as uh, how I experienced it. Sure. Um. And I knew in this, this blueness that this was pure being, this was myself I was bathing in. So there was not a duality as such between the sense of beingness prior to an I and who I considered myself to be. You were that beingness. Thing. I was that beingness. Yes. And somehow I was filled with this longing for God still. Mm -hmm. And it was so, so you, there was still a feeling then that God might be something separate from this beingness yeah. that you were. Yeah. Okay. Because there must have been that separation if there was a longing, right? I mean, otherwise, yeah. yeah. Sure. And um, suddenly, out of this blue, blue, pure beingness, space, whatever it was, uh, Krishna appeared, or a blue being appeared, or it mm. was Shiva, I don't know. I was later told by Swami it was Shiva, and mm. uh, that's probably true. Did it look like the posters? <laughs> <laughs> it did. <laughs> he did. Really? Yeah, really? Like river coming out of his head and all that no, stuff? No, no, no. Trident no, no. and... No, no. Blue, uh, two arms, uh -huh. um, like this. Uh -huh. So a being just presented himself like that. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I surrendered completely to this being, and then I went unconscious. Hmm. Surrendered uh, meaning just sort of a sense of submission or thy will be done kind of thing? Um, yes, but more intense than that. My, mm -hmm. my whole being was full of this longing for God, and suddenly uh -huh. God was there. Uh -huh. So I completely... Um, merged? Merged. Okay. Merged. 
Good. Exactly merged. I don't know how this merging came along. It's it's uh, it just happened, and I yeah. went unconscious. Huh. And then I don't know for how long it lasted. It could have been thirty seconds. It could have been ten minutes, fifteen minutes. I don't know. But when I opened my eyes, I had wild kriyas. Kriyas are spontaneous movements caused by a kundalini. Yeah, I've and had I would have some myself. Yeah. I would have wild electric spasms in the body and, and uh, would be jerking around. Mm -hmm. And that lasted for a couple of hours. Mm. And my body was on fire, literally on fire. Well, virtually on fire. L literally but means there were actually flames yeah, coming off sorry, of it. So virtually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, virtually. Yeah. Um, and. Um, the beautiful thing was suddenly I saw God in everything. Hmm. So it wasn't just an internal vision thing. It was actually something that transformed my perception of the world and my sense of who I was. There was still a duality in the, in the sense that a, a high COVID dentist would say, or, or an, a non-dual teacher would say, oh, there's a duality there. Yes, there was definitely a duality. Well, there was you seeing God. In yes. It. Yeah, yeah. But it what, was a what would you say? Could you elaborate on what it means to see God in everything? I mean, you look at the lamp or whatever, and what are you actually seeing that makes that a, a vision of God as opposed to ordinarily looking at the lamp? You see a, a something transcendental, imminent in the lamp. Uh-huh. Um, you see a, a pure being, not not a, a being as a person, but you see pure being, your own pure being. Like pure existence or... Pure existence, mm -hmm. which is infinite love and uh, infinite bliss and infinite kindness and compassion. Huh. And you see that existing within everything around you. Everything is just soaked with that, huh? Everything is soaked within, permeated yeah. within. So you see... Um, the lamppost, but you also see something else, and your heart overflows with love for it. Does it have an intelligence quality also? Yeah. Feeling of just sort of saturated with intelligence, or yeah, okay. Not not intelligence in a uh, not an intellectual sense, but oh no 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 no. Like it, it's it's conscious, it's awareness, it's right. uh, yeah. As if everything is sentient, like you look at a rock, yes. and it, it's as if it's the rock isn't just a dead rock, it's like f pure life. Yeah. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, I'm just trying to drag out every little nuance of this that we can, you know? Yeah. Good. But right. You're right on. And uh, I was in that state for six months, mm. totally, totally intense for six months. 24-7, as they say? 24-7, yes. Um, and then it, it faded out somewhat, but it generally lasted a couple of years. And, and let me just ask, what happened during sleep during those six months when you were fast asleep at night? Was it just a blackout, or was there some kind of continuum of that um, of something? No, it wasn't witnessing. I mean, that's what you're asking for. Uh, it wasn't that. Yeah, that that came later. Okay, good. Um, but at this this point, the sleep was just regular sleep, unconscious, regular okay. sleep. 
Um, I became a TM fanatic after this because somehow <laughs> I ascribed this to, to, uh, to the transcendental meditation. Uh-huh. And I hadn't been doing TM, I've been doing something else, but I, I ascribed it to TM and became oh. very enthusiastic about that. Why did you ascribe it to TM if you had been doing something else? I don't know. It was it was just a context within which it happened, and uh, I I needed something to uh, I needed a peg to hang it on. So okay, I may have, just I'm sure TM was involved. I mean, you did a bunch of TM, so it must yeah. have had an influence, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then I did the TM CD program. Okay. And uh, during that, we had an interview with Maharishi, and I had a chance to ask Maharishi about this blue being. On the telephone or something? On the telephone, yes. And I had a TM teacher ask on my behalf. Mm-hmm. And he simply ignored it. He didn't want <laughs> to answer it. Yeah. <laughs> but it it, uh, it mystified me. I was very puzzled about what this blue being was and what had happened to me. And uh, Now, the blue being had happened six months beforehand or something, but was it something that was still a, a fact, uh, an element of your experience? or the, the God consciousness was still going on. Right. In a in a milder degree, that went on for two or three years, and then it stopped. But um, not not so much the blue being aspect of it, though. No, 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 no. That's just what triggered it. Ah, uh-huh. that was like the initial. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But um, I wanted to know what this blue being was, or who it was, or what had happened, and why it had happened to me. I mean, I was only just a teenager when it happened. Yeah. Um. But nobody could answer. Mm-hmm. I still want an answer. If anybody has the answer, I'd be happy to hear. <laughs> had, you, had you stumbled across the Muktananda books by that time? Yeah, by that time I stumbled. No, that was only a couple of years later, actually, after mm. I, I read his uh, his autobiography. Play of Consciousness. Play of Consciousness, yes. Yeah. And uh, was happy to read about the experience with the blue being. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, I didn't know what to think of it, what to do with it. It was just you know, something that awakened energy and pure being and um, this immense bliss and love within me. But it faded out, and then I became very depressed. And now we're in 1982. And how old, are, how old are you now? Now? I mean, no, then, I mean. Then, uh, 23. Okay, 23. Yeah, in 83, I'm 23. Okay. So I decided I needed a guru. Uh And I stumbled upon a guru called Guru Ajananda Yogi. Mm -hmm. And he was a a very interesting guru because he was very worldly. Mm. And yet he was apparently enlightened. He He would go into samadhi every Wednesday evening on his causes and people would just sit and meditate on him and that would be a very interesting experience. He was worldly in the sense of what? Married? He, had a he was married, he had a job, he had you know a normal life, uh-huh. drink alcohol, eat meat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know just a regular guy but he was enlightened. <laughs> or at least so everyone thought. So Maybe. everyone thought. Yeah. And somehow you were attracted to him. I was attracted to him. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I didn't discuss the blue being with him. I, I haven't discussed that with anybody. Hmm. 
but um, I had a very interesting experience I should probably tell about on one of the meditation weeks with the Guru Rajananda. We were setting his table. I was doing kitchen work, Siva. And um, in the dining room, I was setting the plates, and I got overwhelmed with an urge to meditate. So I pulled out a chair and sat down, and then I lost consciousness. And when I woke up, um, or whatever we should call it, the table was set, so I, I guess 10, 15 minutes had passed. And I was, as usual, immensely blissful. But something else was happening. I was, I cried and cried and cried, like I had had tremendous release mm. of something. Something had, had sim simply vanished from me. I don't know what. But I was crying, and I just wanted to see my guru and talk to him about it. So I, I stumbled to his room and knocked on the door and, and came in. And he calmed me down, which was quite a job. <laughs> and uh, he asked me what my name was. And I couldn't answer. I didn't know. It was just pure being, without a name, without a form, without anything. Absolutely pure, in the sense of nothing that could uh, limit it or contract it in any way. So I, I said I couldn't remember my name. Then he asked how old I was. Uh, and I, I didn't know either. I couldn't answer that. So I thought, well, this, this nice guru is asking about how old I am. So I thought maybe if I count the years backwards until I was born, I might get some sensible answer, which would be sort of approximate. So I, I remembered back, but I didn't stop at my birth. I went back and stumbled into a previous life, and then a previous life, and a previous, previous, previous life, etc. And were all those previous lives just as sort of vivid to you as this one? Absolutely. Huh. But it was, it was in glimpses. It was flashes. So not Right. Yeah. yeah. So like I, what were some of them, just out of curiosity? Uh, the previous life I was in India, I started as a Swami in the Ramakrishna Vivekananda order, mm -hmm. and then I went into politics mm. for the independence of India. Mm. And um, yeah, I should have kept on meditating probably. probably. <laughs> well, <laughs> Indian independence was a good thing. And, yeah. <laughs> and then some of the earlier ones? Uh, some of the earlier ones, I have been uh, a Christian monk a couple of times. One time I was painting altar pieces. Mm -hmm. And another incarnation, I was copying manuscripts. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, mm, let me see. I had a previous one where I had been together with this guru. The same one that had same, asked you your name? This is, a, this is a couple of thousand years ago. Mm. I've been with him. And I remembered I'd been with him, and I had sort of left him mm. very disrespectfully. I, I uh, made a, a scene and, and was, you know, sort of hated him and started speaking against him and stuff, mm -hmm. stuff like that. And I remembered this, and I sat there silently thinking about this. 
And then Guru Raj, he turned to one of the other meditation teachers in the room and, and told an anecdote about a student of a guru who had behaved exactly like hmm. I was remembering. It's like he knew about it. He knew about it. And then he turned around, he looked me in the eyes, and he said, do you remember? Hmm. And I could only reply, yes, you bet, I do. Hmm. And uh, that's all. We didn't talk about it further than that. I think it's significant to have discussed this for the last couple of minutes about the previous lives because a lot of times, you know, I suspect and many people suspect that if someone has, you know, profound spiritual proclivities from a young age, um, you know, they're just kind of picking up where they left off. And, and actually even the Gita talks about this. You know, Arjuna asks Krishna, well, what happens if a person sort of dies before they finish their their spiritual progress and he's and he basically says well you pick up where you left off in you know so many words and uh, my wife a actually asked me about that too sometimes she always says I'm curious to know you know if th this person or that person you interview had anything significant as a young child you know that sort of pre predicted that this stuff would blossom in for them later on and it, it commonly has happened and um, but I think you know if you believe in reincarnation which for me, is kind of a matter of fact. Then uh, it it pr it goes way b back before that, and you've built up a momentum over many lives, which has resulted in what you you know the somewhat extraordinary nature of, of this one. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> She's my wife. Just saying, obviously, if they bring it up for. Bring it in from a previous life. It's going to show up as a child, you know, when they're a child in this life. Yes, and I uh, I had some interesting episodes as a child. Mm -hmm. I was I think three or four years old, and um, suddenly one day I told my mother that she was not my mother, mm. and she asked me, "What do you mean?" And I said, "My mother wears I I didn't have the word sari, but I described a sari and said mm -hmm. she lived in a country that was warmer than." this I lived in England at the time uh -huh. I grew up in England ah. until I was seven mm -hmm. um, and then she became angry because I was speaking nonsense in, in, right. in her eyes and at another time I was sitting with my father mm, reading comic strips and there was a yogi bear comic strip where he was uh, with a swami and I told my father this swami that was me that was how I was before I came here and I said, I said that. <laughs> and he, of course, again said, what on earth are you talking about? And I said, that's what it was before I came here, before this. Hmm. And he, he couldn't comprehend that, so I just <laughs> shut up. <laughs> I mentioned this in the last interview I just did, but I, I saw a cartoon the other day where this young boy and an old man were sitting together on a couch. And the young boy said to the old man, said, I didn't believe in reincarnation either when I was your age. <laughs> I don't get it. Well, in other words, you know, when I was your age, he's just a young boy. How could he have been the age of the old man? But he, you know, what he's saying is, when I was an old man in some previous life, I didn't. Oh, yeah. believe, I didn't believe in reincarnation. Now I do. You know, as a young boy, maybe I remember past lives or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, where where were we? Well, you were you were with that guru, and you had had you had this. Yes, he, he asked you right. to count back your age, and you had this recollection of a whole string of past lives.
at that point, I lost identification with Jan. With what? With with Jan. Oh, with Jan. You pronounce Jan. it Jan? Is that the way you pronounce Jan it? Jan is the Danish way of pronouncing it. Okay. We can say Jan. Jan okay. is okay. Sure. All identification went away. I mean, I couldn't even remember my name. Uh-huh. So there was just pure being at this point. Hmm. Um, and I, I didn't think anything about it because there was nothing to think about it. It was just pure, pure being. It was nothing, nothingness, void. Um, so there, there was no sense of elation about having achieved anything or any, anything like that. It was just, you know, here I am and, and I'm nothing. There's nothing. Mm-hmm. There was not even the thought, I am nothing, because there was not that I to think that thought. Mm-hmm. Um, Guruji, Guruji Ananda, he told me to go to bed. It was only half past eight at the time. And uh, so I went off to bed. I was very obedient. If my guru says go to bed, go to bed. <laughs> uh, and I couldn't sleep, of course. I was just lying there, being nothing, and uh, having nothing going through my mind. Uh, and then at, at uh, 3 o'clock in the night, I suddenly had a vision of him in the room. He would appear in the room. And I told him, well, Guruji, I couldn't sleep. You told me to go to sleep, but I, I can't sleep. And he said to me mentally, no problem. And then I was gone. And the next morning I woke up, there was a jam again. So there, there was uh, the ability to function in the world was restored. So um, when, when there was no sense of jam, you felt like you couldn't really function? I I could within the uh, within the uh, narrow space I had to function in there. I mean, go to bed and do nothing. That function. But you would well. have had a hard time yeah. driving a car, or you know. No, not driving a car, but relating to people. Mm-hmm. Okay. How can you relate to people if if there's no name and there's no personality and there's nothing going on for you in that mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. Um, I would just have been a very spaced out wacko kind of guy if, if uh, he hadn't restored some sense of identity for me. Yeah. Um, well, another way of putting it is you had had a significant shift, but it wasn't integrated, right? Yeah, you can say that. It wasn't integrated. I guess so. But then again, the shift was such that there was nothing to integrate it in. There was nothing. Mm-hmm. There was only the self, nothing else. And what there was nothing to integrate or integrate it into at that point. Uh, it, w- it was so extreme and so radical and so absolute that um, you can't talk about integrating it any- in, in anything, no. When I say integrate, I kind of mean learn how to function, yeah. y- you know, in a, in a new state. I mean, sometimes people become quite dysfunctional for a while when they undergo a kind of a radical shift and it takes a while to learn how to sort of do things again. Like Eckhart Tolle, Byron Katie, you know, well-known teachers like that, they had these radical shifts and it, it took months if not years before they could sort of behave normally again. <laughs> I would have had a very difficult time behaving if Guruji hadn't done something during the night for me. Yeah. 
Um, well, this this happened, and then there are some very tough years in my life. Um, I became depressed. Mm -hmm. Guruji died a couple of years later, so I, I left him, and I didn't know where to go. And my meditation was basically to follow how Kundalini worked in me. The Shakti was, of course, very intense. Mm -hmm. It been so since the out-of-body experience in my first meditation with the blue being and so forth. So at this point, I, I simply meditated by observing how the Shakti would work in me, or in the body, rather. But you were depressed. I was depressed. I was experiencing bliss in meditation, but there was a depression. Interesting paradox. Yes, very, very. <laughs> it almost seems like the two of them couldn't coexist. Yeah. But uh, nevertheless, I, f I felt um, there was no reason to live. Life was totally without any content of any sort. There was no reason to live at all. Um, it's not that I had dark moods. It was just this sense of total meaninglessness that mm. permeated everything. Yeah, and it wasn't sort of, it didn't go in waves, it was sort of this consistent underlying sense of meaninglessness. Yeah. Yeah. And I experimented with various therapies, psychoanalysis, uh, body work, various stuff, and nothing helped, of course. Um, let me see, where are we in my story? Now we're what? about... 1986. Yeah, so you're ob you're observing the Kundalini when you meditate, and there's yeah. this continuum of of meaninglessness at the same time. So it's bliss and meaninglessness <laughs> together. Yes, and there's more than that because at this point I I, I observed that I have, I had become contagious. If people meditated with me, I, they would catch on. The shakti uh -huh. would catch on in them. Right. This is of course called shaktipat. Right. And th that would begin here. This has blossomed later to a, to a full-blown ability I've got. Mm -hmm. But at this point, it would happen randomly. I would meditate with people, and I would think lovingly about them. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, in meditation, they would start shaking and crying, and, and I would ask them afterwards what happened. And they say they experienced this fantastic love and bliss, and they had no idea how it came about. And I could just say, well... I was in that state, and apparently it was contagious. Mm -hmm. And it didn't happen just once or twice. It happened so many times. There was no doubt about it being contagious. It wasn't random. Like They just had a good meditation. It, it was a, there was a connection. Were you leading a little group or something? Is that why you were meditating with other people? Yeah, I, had a, I began having a group because of this. I thought this was interesting. So I, I had a group for my sake and others' sake. Mm -hmm. So I could study the phenomena, and they could hopefully benefit from it. Okay. And that worked very well. Most of them got their kundalini going. Mm -hmm. um, I still had to learn how to do it. It was it was a sort of. It might happen. It might not happen. Do it meaning tr trigger it in other people. You trigger mean? it. Yeah. Trigger yeah. It. So you wouldn't. It wouldn't happen if you just sat passively and just in, engaged in your own experience it would there would have to be an intention to enliven it in the others sometimes it would happen spontaneously but mostly there had to be an intention to do it okay so i got some training in what kind of intention was 
what kind of intention you could have while you were in this deep meditation that was necessary to give the Shaktipat. Who trained you? Nobody. Oh, I just in your, your own experimentation. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. A lot of years went on with this. There, there's nothing, nothing special happened in, during these years. I mean, I was still this nothingness, and I, I would often see God in everything. Um, and I would live with this shakti in the body all the time. It's, it's, it's like a tingling electric sensation in the spine and in the, in the skin going on all the time. But there, there were no radical breakthroughs. For uh, for a number of years, excuse me. Was there still a sense of meaninglessness going on for a number of years, along with this other stuff? Yeah. Huh. So it's just a condition you're in for quite some time. <coughs> yes, like 15 years. Oh, that's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> that's a long time. Were you managing to hold down a job or any such thing during all this? I was a student at the for university for 15 years. Oh. Um, for um, seven years at the university and three years, six years at the university and three years I studied art restoration. Okay, like taking old paintings and restoring and them? Fixing them, restoring them, yes, retouching. Right. Okay. Damages and whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I finished that in um, 91. Um, then I met the uh, Ame, the Hugging Saints, mm -hmm. Hugging Ame, and I, I became totally in love with her. I could see she was in the state that I had experienced with the Blue Being. Mm. She was in that state constantly. So uh, I surrendered to her and asked her if she would take me to that state, and she said yes. And then she manifested inside my brain somehow. Hmm. I, was, I was there being hugged by her, and suddenly she was inside my brain, inside my mind, my head. And then she stopped her chanting of ma, 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 like she does. Mm -hmm. um, and then she went away from within my mind, and then she started ma, 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 ma again, and then she reappeared. And I... Meanwhile, I thought, oh, darn, I've lost it. <laughs> was, w when you say what you just said, was all, was all that happening while you were physically uh, getting, being hugged, getting yes. darshan from her? Yeah. Okay, good. And then for the second time, we connected somehow. And I don't know what, what benefit has come from that, but mm -hmm. um, we connected. And that was very important for me to have this... Uh, connection established with someone in this state. What do you mean for the second time you connected? You mean... First time, she, she appeared inside my mind and we didn't connect. And then she went away and then she came back again and we connected. All during one single darshan, you're saying? One single darshan. Okay, yeah. so somehow she, there was, she, she appeared. So it must have been a fairly long darshan. In the, it was in the early 90s. And yeah, and we were like only... Five, five minutes or something. It was a long darshan, and there was only 500 people there. Now yeah. that's thousands. Right. Um, anyway, that was a great inspiration for me, knowing her. Mm -hmm. But um, 
nothing really came out of it. I got bored with it in the end. Hmm. You go there, you get this darshan, you get the bliss, and then you go home and everything as it, is as it used to be. Right. So I began getting, um, you, know, you know, I had a feeling I've, I've been meditating for so long and then suddenly nothing was happening and I had all these wild experiences. So I decided uh, now I'd meditate six hours every day until my kundalini went out of the root chakra into the spine and up into the brain. So I set a very rigorous program for myself. Early in the morning? Yeah, from 10 o'clock in the morning to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh-huh. And One it took meditation. about six took about six hours for it to build, no, no, build no, all no, those no, stages? No, or? no, no. no, no. I, I meditated six hours every day for four months. Yes. Or five months. I don't remember. Something like that. And in the end, um, the Kundalini crept out of the root chakra into the spine. It's about this long, 12 centimeters or so. Mm -hmm. um, and it was extremely blissful. And it entered the spine, and then when it came into the spine, it dissolved, stopped being a snake, and then it became a, a light energy, energy light substance thing, whatever, that permeated the entire spine and went up to the brain. And this happened over the course of four or five months of six this hours a day? This happened on the last meditation after four or five months of, of hard work. Yeah. And what and were you... I, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no. What was your question? Oh, I was going to say, um, well, I have a couple of questions. Uh, one is when you refer to the Kundalini as a 12-centimeter thing, um, obviously it's not a thing which some surgeon could locate if they cut you open. It must be a subtle thing. Yeah. And, uh, and so what? first question is, what is that subtle thing made of and how does it look I mean I've always heard of it as an energy and sometimes it's referred to as a snake but I've never heard it referred to as a 12 centimeter it sounds like a worm or something <laughs> it was like a worm huh. actually it felt like you know a uh, something penetrating my spine very physical hmm. but it's an elongated little band of energy about, yes yeah. and the reason I say 12 centimeters that's an estimate but mm -hmm. I had a sense of the speed with which it, it entered the spine and that gave me a sense of the length of it mm -hmm. so that's why I say about 12 centimeters could you actually visually see it or was yes. it more felt kind of thing it was felt and I could see it okay it's light it was light it was a light phenomenon so it's like uh, like a little wor worm of light, worm. so to say. Yeah, 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 worm of light. <laughs> <laughs> and and did, as it moved up the spine, did it sort of? Could you sort of observe it progressively, going to each chakra and no. awakening that? No. No. When it w when it had fully entered, it dissolved and spread out into the entire spine as I light. See. Uh huh. And then it filled the brain with light and energy. Okay. And you say it was hard work. I mean, yeah, four uh, or five months, six hours a day. That's pretty hard work. Yeah, a lot of times people think of meditation as not involving work, but you know, it's just you're surrendering, you're relaxing, you're settling in, or whatever. But I, there are forms of meditation which which do involve work. So what what kind of actual work were you doing there? I was following my breath, uh -huh. and on the in breath, I sensed energy moving up the entire spine. Mm -hmm. 
and on the out breath I sensed it spreading from the brain in all directions. Hmm. And no you were, and you were able to, well it would be hard work to sit and do that for six hours I would say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Take a lot <laughs> of dedication. And yeah. did your did you find your mind kind of wandering off during the process or were you really anchored into it? I was very anchored into it. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. So it wasn't a lot of distraction. You weren't thinking, "Oh, I'm hungry. Oh, my legs hurt." You were just really focused in on what on that process. For some, for some reason, I was absolutely focused into it. Hmm. Nothing uh, like I'm hungry or I I want a drink or. <laughs> well, it just works. Huh. Yeah. Well, it must have been something that it was time for you to do. You know. Yeah. I mean, I don't think the average person could just sit down and do that, but no. um, you know it was right for you at that time sure okay so then six months or four or five months you said and the energy had come up to the, to to the, the brain yeah and th okay then what happened then I had very violent kriyas going Again. on I had electric shocks very very dramatic electric shocks mm -hmm. when I meditated so it, it was very difficult for me to meditate and these electric shocks were contagious also so um People I was meditating with would have these electric shocks and, and uh, certain spasms of the arm or, or, or legs or the body would jerk. Yeah. So uh, I stopped meditating and the mm -hmm. shakti would still go on at full force, traveling up the spine, working on the chakras, as you asked. Yes, I began to feel that afterwards. Um, and I went through a phase of this myself, actually, yes. and, and uh, like 1970, uh, I had been on a long meditation course, and I came back and I was driving an ice cream truck, and whenever I got settled, especially when I meditated, I'd be, head would be thrashing around and stuff, but when I dr driving the ice cream truck, even if I stopped at a stop sign and sat still for a moment, my head would start to go. <laughs> <laughs> and were you initiated with Shakti Pass? No, I was just doing TM. I'd been doing it for a okay. couple of years, and I had just come back from a one-month course with Maharishi, but there was this kind of shaking going on, and, and also some other things, too. Like one time I was sitting in a living room, and um, my face kind of spontaneously went into all these really strange grimaces, like all these uh, like gargoyles almost. I felt like my face must look like if someone was looking at me. And, but I just sort of thought, okay, something interesting is happening here. I'm working something out. So I just kind of let it go through all that spontaneously, and after a while it just subsided and, and went away. But anyway, this is not my yeah. story. I just wanted to <laughs> throw that in just for kicks. <laughs> Uh, well, I um, then I decided I needed proper shakti part from somebody. Yes. So I uh, I googled. I I heard about Anandima. Mm -hmm. Um, somehow I don't know, but I googled her and I discovered she'd just been in in Europe, hmm. and the course had had ended the day before. Oh. So I wrote to her ashram and asked if there was any way to get shakti part from her. Yeah. In absentia, as they call it, which in effect means by mail order. <laughs> yeah. And I got the reply that yes, you did that, and I could send a photo, and uh, uh, she would give me Shaktipat, and I would receive some items, and, and at a certain point, I should a date, I should meditate before her picture, and uh, offer some fruits and flowers and the usual Indian ritualistic stuff. Mm -hmm. So I did that, and I, w I was asked to 
to place a rosebud on the top of my head at the time of initiation, and I clearly felt an energy drilling into my brain down the spine when I received the Shaktipat from Anandimak. The rosebud was something they had sent to you? They had sent that to me. I see. And it obviously or apparently held the Shakti from Anandimak. Mm -hmm. And that solved my spasms and I could meditate again. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. So, so you, yeah. you just sat still after that? I could sit still and I could meditate and I did that regularly morning and evening again mm -hmm. after that. Hmm. And now we're in 2002. Okay. We've jumped some years. <laughs> they were boring. So we yeah, boring and depressing. <laughs> <laughs> was um, the depression over the, at that point then also? Yeah, yes, yes. It was fairly over this time. Good. And I was having bliss in the body. And I was having that while I was depressed, which is paradox, par paradoxical. You mean over those 15 years? The yes, the yes. Bliss this this right. will get become stronger and stronger. Was it possibly that the bliss was more on the physical level and the depression was more on the emotional level? Something like that? The depression was in the mind oh. and the emotional level, and the bliss is definitely... Uh, it's it, it's in the body. It's very physical, but it's of course transcendental awareness, consciousness, subtle. Yeah. subtle. Mm -hmm. um, I began having a group again at this time, meditating with people, and I just discovered I could control the Shaktipat thing more and more. Um, let me see what happens. What happens here? Um, nothing special happens actually, except I have these groups, and I, I find out I can I can transmit this bliss to other people more and more. Even now, you mean? No, no, in two thousand six. Two thousand six. Okay, we're up. No, to no, six. now I, now I can do it whenever I want to. I see. Yeah. Um. And then two thousand and two, and then in two thousand and six, I heard about something called Gyanvidi. Have you heard of that? Only from reading your thing, and I've heard those words before, but not that specific, not with that specific yeah. reference. No. It's a very peculiar initiation that some Indians give. Uh, one Indian person is the third generation in this lineage, and uh, the initiation is for self-realization. Mm -hmm. And it, it's done by the the guru. The master says a. Uh, sentence, a teaching about the self, like the self is pure bliss, he says it's in Gujarati, and sometimes in English, but you don't understand anything if it's in Gujarati. And then you're asked to repeat the sentence. So he says the oh, self... Oh, Gyanvidi, this is um, Deepak Bhai, right? Deepak Bhai, yes. Yes, I'm familiar with that. I have a, a, a friend who's also the daughter of a, a very old friend who um, is, lives in that ashram, and she gave me a DVD of it a little while ago, which I've watched some of. Yeah, okay, so I am, I'm more familiar with that than I realized. Okay. Okay. But for your viewers, I'll, I'll explain. Yes, please. Um, he, he, he says a sentence, and you're asked to repeat it. Mm -hmm. And that goes on for 48 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then that's the end of the ceremony. And for some, it works wonders, and for, for a lot of people, nothing really happens for some reason. And what is the sentence? It could be the self is pure bliss, the self is uh, pure being, 
So for 48 minutes, he would say that, you would repeat it back and forth, back yeah, and forth. Yeah, he would say different different teachings, different sentences. Ah, almost like uh, a Christ Christian thing where they say something and then you repeat it and in church, you know? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, but what happened to me was, was uh, remarkable. Um, during the ceremony, uh, the, the original founder of this tradition is called Dadashri. Right. And when I was doing the ceremony, he appeared from my inner eye, like this. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Oh, nothing. Um, and I felt a tremendous surge of energy within me, rising up and up to the brain. And the brain, the chakra, the crown chakra, like a thousand little bubbles would explode. Gradually, 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 slowly, 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 until it, it was open all the way down here. Mm -hmm. and and for, tho for those who are just listening in audio, I just want to describe the gesture you just made. You just covered the, came down from the top of your head all the way down to your eyebrows and all the way around the yes. head, you know, like a, like a hat that would fit just over your eyebrows. Yes. Yeah, okay. Um... And that, that was uh, 48 minutes for me. And when I opened my eyes after the ceremony, I saw the self in everything. Hmm. I had earlier seen it as God, as Krishna, but at this point I recognized it as my own self, mm -hmm. as, as, a, as a oneness. There was no bliss at this point. It was absolutely cool, pure, simple, pure being. Hmm. Uh, so I was not ecstatic or, or um, elated or anything. I was I was totally cool. I just saw the self in everything, very vaguely, but it was there. And within the next couple of days, it expanded. We had a meeting the next day. Of course, I told Deepak Bai about this right away, and he was impressed. He, he thought it was marvelous. And the next day, we had a meeting, and I was totally fascinated because all these Indian ladies were sitting here chatting um, and I was I, I marveled because I saw the self in them mm -hmm. and how could the self which was absolute and silent and motionless sit there chattering <laughs> <laughs> that was a very odd very odd uh -huh. experience and the, it's integrated even more and more since so it's not so odd anymore. After two weeks, bliss began, began to erupt out of nowhere within the body, but not in particular in the spine, just the body would become electric and I would feel this pure being vibrate. That's the, that's the best word I have for it. It would vibrate with bliss. Um, so the pure being suddenly became alive as Shakti. So we had the Shiva aspect, and suddenly there was the, sh the Shakti aspect also. Mm. And I would I would recognize this in everything. This, so the this Shiva aspect would be the pure being silence, and the Shakti aspect would be the vibrating, yes. bliss blissful aspect. Mm. And I would perceive both in everything. Uh, and in other people and when I was sat for meditation with other people and I would perceive this in them or rather them as this because that's the truth about them 
about everybody. And perceiving this, and at the same time having an, an intense prayer that the Shakti should awaken in them, then the Shakti awakens in them, mm. usually. And that, that's, the, that's the trick about the uh, Shakti part. It's very simple, actually. So you wouldn't need to touch them or anything like that? It would just all be sort of on the... I would, I would sit next to them. I would put my, my left hand or right hand on their knee. I oh. still do that, but it's not needed. But uh -huh. I, I, I do it. Sometimes it, it boosts the process somehow. Okay. I would place my hand on their knee, and I would identify with the pure being in them. I mm -hmm. would sort of I would move my awareness from the Jan level mm -hmm. to the level of pure being, and I would recognize the pure being in them as them. I would see the unity of their pure being and my pure being, and then I would pray for their Shakti to awaken. Hmm. Do you feel that this might be similar to what Amma is doing when she's giving darshan to people? Yeah, I've had that thought. Because mm -hmm. uh, obviously something very profound is happening. I don't claim to know the mechanics of it, but you know, she's waking something up in people for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. Mm. But this, um, yeah, this this has lasted for six years now. Mm. Six years since I got the Gyanvidhi initiation. Seeing the self in everything. Seeing the self in everything and um, enjoying being in bliss always. You're probably familiar with that Gita verse. Uh, he he sees the self in all beings and all beings in the self. Yeah, mm. that's what it is. So be so bliss is kind of a 24/7 phenomenon. It goes up and down. Yeah. But it it never goes away. There's always a baseline at least. There's always a baseline of this vibrating sizzling shakti presence. Yeah. And the pure being this this um joy it's not almost like a love affair between pure being and this shakti sizzling as everything within everything. Mm. And that goes on 24-7. I don't lose awareness when I sleep. That's your next question. It <laughs> was, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I won't credit you with being psychic because I tried to ask it earlier. <laughs> but it's an obvious you know, next question. is. Uh, and so what is sleep like now? Let's say you're fast asleep. It's 3 in the morning. You've been asleep for, for five hours. You know, what is the nature of that state that you're in? I'm not aware of what's going on around me. Right, because that would imply your senses are functioning, which yes. they don't do during sleep. They don't. Right. But there is an awareness of, of existence. Before, earlier, this would go away. There would be going to sleep, unconsciousness, waking up, and then reminiscing about your dreams. Right. Reminiscing. Uh, re re thank you. Yeah. Um, But now there, there's a continuous awareness of being alive, of being present, while the body is sleeping and the and Yan is dreaming. Yeah. So it's the, and it's probably correct me if I'm wrong, but you're probably not lying there thinking, oh yeah, this is cool. I'm aware during sleep. <laughs> it, it's it's more like just a sort of a presence or an awareness, it's, which it's, is there without needing to think about it or do anything or whatever. It's just there, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's passive, inactive. Yeah, you can't even say it's passive and inactive. It's just there. 
I have a friend who um, was born in Finland, actually, not far from you, and um, he's older than I am in his mid-60s, and he's been in this state since he was about 11 years old. He says he hasn't lost consciousness since he was about 11. Oh. <laughs> wow. he, he, so far, he hasn't agreed to an interview, but one of these days, man, it's going to knock people's socks off. <laughs> <laughs> so now, do you have something to add? Because I have another question, but I, wanna, I don't want to cut oh, you please, off. If you, please, go ahead. Okay. Um, one one thing Maharishi always used to talk about was the progression from, you know, inner witnessing uh, all the time, like you're saying, uh, and then, you know, waking, dreaming, and sleeping. Uh, he, he used to call it witnessing, and he, he'd say that, you know, this witnessing of sleep is kind of an acid test of self-realization, because if you lose awareness during sleep, then you really haven't, the, the self-awareness hasn't really been a solidly established. Um, and then he you know, he also talked about ultimately seeing it, the self in everything, which of course was not a unique idea to him. It's in all the scriptures and everything, seeing the self in it, all you apprehend. But he, he, he spoke of an intermediary stage of what he called God consciousness, where there was a sort of a, an appreciation of the most refined aspect of, of the relative or celestial perception, he would call it. And, uh, the, you know, he's sometimes alluded to a whole world of beings there, a whole realm of the celestial that is ordinarily beyond our, the, 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 our crude perception, you know. So um, what, what would you say about all that? <laughs> well, that's the state I'm in. So the celestial perception? The, the God consciousness phase. It's an intermediate phase between cosmic consciousness and unity consciousness in Maharishi's terminology. Correct. Um, Although some people say that it's not necessarily so linear, it doesn't necessarily have to go in that order, but would you say that in fact it does go in that order? It did in my case. The cosmic consciousness was back in 84 with the, when I lost the identification. Yeah. That was definitely cosmic consciousness. Although in, in his worldview, the, the cosmic consciousness would include the witnessing of sleep. Okay, it was almost there then. Okay. <laughs> thin, 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 thin layer, which was, was removed with the Gyan Bidi. Uh -huh. Okay. That's probably more, more accurate. Alrighty, so maybe it fully matured with the Gyan Bidi yeah. and there was the you know 24-7 awareness. And... Um, but then you say that's where you are now in the God consciousness? with the I would definitely say so, yes. Can you elaborate on it a bit more in terms of this whole idea of celestial perception? Mm, it, there's no celestial perception in the sense that you see divine beings or, or anything like that. Subtle phenomenon, angels or auras or oh no, all that oh kind no. of business? No. I've had some, some experiences with celestial beings, yes, but mm -hmm. they are... Um, it's, it's been a one-time or two-time thing. Yeah. I was meditating in my studio once and was very blissful. And then suddenly I had this sense of, of a being that came and sat before me. And then I asked this being, why are you doing this? And who are you? And she said she was a celestial being which came here to acknowledge and respect what I have achieved with my meditation. And that was a uh, that was a nice experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because nobody told me anything about what was going on in my meditation. Yeah, so you that needed a little bit of confirmation. I got confirmation here 
and that was what I needed. Mm -hmm. But apart from that, I haven't had any of these experiences. But I'm very perceptive to people's energy, state of mind, uh, etc. I, I read people like an open book. Yeah. Hmm. And so, um, maybe just to clarify our terminology, um, would you somehow, would you, and if so, how would you distinguish between cosmic consciousness and God consciousness? Cosmic consciousness would be a state of pure being. Yes. And no bliss. Uh -huh. And in God consciousness, you have the bliss of perceiving, almost recognizing it as the self in everything. Uh huh. But you, you see it as divine. The, you project God onto it. Mm -hmm. There's a duality involved. And then in unity consciousness, which I've had glimpses of, you recognize it directly as this is the self. Mm. There's no duality whatsoever. And that's why it's called unity consciousness. And all these non-duality gurus today, I mean, they don't know what unity consciousness is, unfortunately. They're talking about something else, probably cosmic consciousness. That's my sense, actually, and I don't, and I, I sometimes try to prod them on that point while I'm doing, when I'm interviewing them, um, but I don't really feel fully qualified to do so. You know, it's sort of a leap for me because I'm just a little bit going on my understanding and my intuition rather than, you know, claiming to have, you know, fully matured in this experience myself. But I, I, I do feel that, you know, I, I found a quote the other day. I actually have it printed out. Um, it's a Tibetan proverb. It says, do not mistake understanding for realization. Do not mistake realization for liberation. And, you know, I often feel that, firstly, people sometimes hear all this non-duality talk and everything, and they gain an intuitive understanding, and they think, ah, that's it, realization. Hey, dude, I'm, I, I've got it. I can, I can teach yeah. it. I can turn around and teach it, maybe. Right, and then, but then sometimes also people do have genuine realization, you know, a profound shift in their, in their experience. And yet there's an assumption all too often, in my, from my observation, that that's regarded as final or as complete. And I'm always saying to people, you know, I think there's more. I think there, there's more progress. And, and very often they say, no, no, this is it. There couldn't possibly be more. How, right. You know, the whole idea of progress requires you to be a seeker. And if you're a seeker, then you're, you're not satisfied with what is and, and so on and so forth. And I sometimes feel a little bit ill-equipped to kind of get in there and, and <laughs> provide a little bit deeper understanding. I'm not, you know. I think you're right. It's, it's right on. Um. Realization and liberation is definitely not the same. I mean, I've had so many realizations without being liberated during the, the uh, Decades. progress of my life, as I explained. Yeah. Um, and I don't know when when liberation comes. That's probably unity consciousness in its full mm. fullness. Um, and I wouldn't say these. Uh, neo advisor people are in unity consciousness. They don't speak about bliss and love. They speak about pure being. And that's that's cool. That, it's probably okay, I mean, the state they're in, and it's, it's, it's pure being, but I think the, the love, the bliss, which I'm speaking of, which I'm bathing in, is missing from their teaching. Yeah. Maharshi once said, uh, someone asked him about 
what happens if a person just gets to this sort of cosmic consciousness state, pure being, without unfolding the, the bliss that could unfold after that. He said it felt like it was a bullet going through his heart, to just the thought of them missing out on that. Yes. And, and he tried to evolve techniques to help people sort of move, move beyond that state of just being. Yeah. Being awakening. Well, I feel the same way. It's, uh, it's, it's sad. Although, you know what? Um, what I have noticed is that a number of them were speaking that way maybe a few years ago, and now they're saying, wait a minute, there's, there does seem to be an evolution taking place here, you know? And they're kind of like, uh, there's a general... I, I see it as sort of an upwelling of, of a kind of a evolving understanding or experience, which I suppose might be inevitable. I don't know, you know, the evolutionary force being what it is, I don't know if you can say stuck at, at a level which is not complete, although maybe you can ling linger there for a while. Um, if, if what? I'm, if, I'm saying... Uh, I'm noticing just in surveying the landscape of spiritual yeah. spiritual teachers and what they're saying uh, that there many of them do seem to be moving beyond what they said initially, even though initially they might have been saying there's nothing more than this. They're beginning to realize that there's a maturation that that ha well, can take place and is taking place in them. Well, that's fantastic if it is. Um, I'm not aware of that. Yeah. Then again, I'm not aware of too much going on. <laughs> <laughs> I stick to my own business. I'll send you some references if I come across them. Yeah, please do. Yeah. So in your own case, then, you know, you say you feel like you've you're kind of established at the God consciousness stage as we've defined it, uh, with glimpses of of unity. Perhaps you could elaborate a bit on the nature of these glimpses and what you might expect the full maturation of that will be when the glimpses become more permanent and complete well there's another thing going on in the, in this case that is you get an intense love relationship to what I would call the divine mother huh. and, um, and you, you think everyone would at this stage sorry you think everyone would at this I stage I don't know I don't know I, I just I, I would say I do <laughs> that would probably be better okay but I, I sense that at this point in my progress, there's come this intense love affair with with the with the divine mother, and everything is is experienced as mother's grace. Perhaps no you could give us a a better understanding of what the divine mother is. I don't know, <laughs> but there's just a feeling that there is a divine mother, and you yeah, love well, it's, that. It's it's more than a feeling. It's in the it's it's so physical. I mean, I mean, regular sex is nothing compared to this. It's uh -huh. it's extremely physical, and it's extremely emotional, and it's it's um, your mind is involved in it, but your mind is totally clear. There's no fogginess, so you're not dreaming or anything. You're not making this up. This 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 is a factual. Uh, th th this is this is real. You know that. And the only way you can describe it is uh, intense, intense, intense love. Hmm. And what you're in love with is 
you project this divine mother onto it. I mean, somebody else would project something else, probably. Um, yeah, like some people in India, for instance, are they're Krishna devotees or they're Ganesh devotees or Shiva devotees or yeah. whatever, and maybe I'm a Shakti devotee, so uh -huh. I project divine mother onto it. Okay. <clears throat> but then th this is of course still God consciousness. It's but what to, I'm sorry. God, what? God consciousness, because you're projecting an image of God onto it. Uh -huh. It's not unity consciousness at this point. So it's an aspect or a flavor of God consciousness. Suddenly say. the duality involved in this evaporates. Mm -hmm. And you have an absolute certainty that what you're seeing is who you are. It's very, very difficult to explain. So now, wait a minute. So now there's there's what you just said, and then there's the whole thing about the Divine Mother. Are they are they one and the same thing, or are you talking about two different... I'm, I'm talking about how it culminates and how it flips over into unity consciousness. I see. So there will be this sort of profound, intense devotion to the Divine Mother, and then that will somehow flip over into the unity yeah. experience. Yeah, okay. But it's not an intense devotion, because there's not a subject being devoted. Huh. There's just a sense of the Divine Mother as pure bliss, pure Shakti, which permeates you mm. and which you are. But you have this love, and this love is... Um, maybe it's the love that projects the whole idea of the Divine Mother in order to have a peg to hang it on, I don't know. Huh. It could be going on, this is what is happening in God consciousness. It's very, it's very difficult to explain. I'm probably not being very clear right now. Oh, you're okay. There's a, you know who Shankara was, obviously, right? The great Advaita yeah. sage, uh, founder of Advaita, really, a couple thousand years ago. There was a saying from him that the intellect imagines duality for the sake of devotion. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and and you just said as well that that duality sort of dissolves into a unity, you know. So there's it seems yeah. to like vacillate, you know, between you know this devotion and then unity. Yeah. In your, yeah. And what I realize is that I am this grace, this mother's grace. There's no duality. So initially, in, initially, it, it explodes into this intense. Grace, love, I call it love, bliss. Um, but you realize there's no duality between you and it. And when you have that understanding, you can give Shaktipath like that. It's mm -hmm. as easy as, hand as handing somebody an orange or an apple or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, as this understanding has um, matured in you, or this experience has matured in you, has have you noticed a more profound impact on the people yeah the, yeah it's much stronger and much deeper huh and how are some of them doing in terms of their well they get uh, I don't initiate so many it's it's my friends and their friends and friends 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 etc close circle yeah it's close circle but they get you know the usual they get kriyas dramatic kriyas some of them have and uh experience fire up the spine and states of mm -hmm. bliss and you know do you feel like for many of them it sort of kickstarts their their, oh, spir definitely. their spiritual growth and then they kind of keep that momentum going on their own yeah definitely that's what yeah. it is that's how they 
would describe it if they were to give me feedback. They would say it, it, it was a tremendous kickstart. Right. And do you, do some of them experience the phenomenon that you referred to e earlier with Ama, where it, after a while it gets a little old, you know, just sort of going and seeing this person and and having your energy enlivened and then going away again, having it diminish? Or No, no, yeah. it's awakened something in them which keeps going. Yeah, yeah. So it's not connected to me. The initial meeting and the Shaktipat meeting is, of course, connected to me. And the first couple of sessions is still connected to me. Mm -hmm. But then it gets so strong and they get so used to it going on. So they, they become independent of me in their spirituality, which is something I value deeply. Right. I don't want devotees or students or anything <laughs> like that. Yeah. On the other hand, maybe it would beat restoring old photographs or old, old paintings, but maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Well, in other words, if you could do this twenty, you know, full oh, yeah, time for a, living. for a living, as opposed to having to spend most of your time restoring old paintings. Yeah. You know, would you find that more gratifying, or I, ha I have a software company. Let's oh, okay. make my money. Oh, okay. Good. Plugins for Photoshop. Oh, really? Yeah. In interesting. You, do you write them yourself? You write. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I code them in C plus plus. Huh. Cool. For photo retouching. Oh, I see. Which is something you had to do yourself. So you probably thought, well, I need to, I need a plug-in for this because it's not easy to do without a plug-in. Exactly. I was retouching my paintings and I realized there was a problem and hmm. Photoshop couldn't do it. And that kick-started the, the business, the company. Huh. Did you somehow learn C++ on your own or had you learned that in school? Oh, I learned it on my own. Just got a book and studied it? Yeah, I got a book and started it. Not bad. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I just suddenly ran out of questions. That's a rarity. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to add at this point? Do I have anything I'd like to add? What can you add to something that is inherently nothing? <laughs> I'd like to add that. <laughs> yeah, that's no, good. It's, um, I would love to be able to describe what life is like when you're blissful all the time. Mm. Because people think it's like it's, it's an emotion you've you've got, yeah, oh. but it's not, right? It's, it's and I imagine even regular emotions are there on top of that underlying bliss, right? You might go regular the emotions are there, right? Um, but the bliss is something completely different. So if people are looking for it in in an emotional uh, context, they'll be disappointed. They won't find it there. I think Maharishi called that mood making. Yeah. And um that that won't work. And many contemporary teachers warn against trying to hang on to some particular experience that you have, you know. I mean Ramana Maharshi used to say that if that you know, if it's an experience which came, it's it's gonna be an exp that that experience is going to go again and that's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to something that doesn't come and go. It doesn't come and go. That's right. for sure. It just stays there. Just goes on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure it's not boring. It's definitely not boring. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel a little bit frustrated in your ability to adequately convey a sense of what it's like? No, because I see the self in, in the people that I would like to convey it to. So in a sense, I realize that they are realized already. Mm -hmm. Um. So what, what I, I mean, it's a paradox. You see people and you see they're identified 
with the mind, with the ego, with the personality, with the emotions, whatever's going on. People identify totally with what's going on in the moment and what has been going on in the past and as that is remembered in the moment. Everything is in the present moment, um, even ignorance. Um, on the one hand you see this and on the other hand you recognize the self in the person and you see the self is perfect. Mm -hmm. There's nothing to add to it, there's nothing to develop, there's nothing to grow. It's just there, calm, waiting to be realized. Mm. So there's no frustration in it. Yeah. There's only a great joy in being able to share it when you can. And I suspect you wouldn't be one of these people who say, well, you really don't need to do anything because you're perfect, you know? Bec I'm definitely not one of them. No, because there are people who say that. And, yeah. um, and it's all well and good to, say, to see that essentially a person is perfect, but of what value is that to them unless they have that realization of that level of life themselves and are actually living it as, as you have been describing in your own experience? Yeah. But um, people should understand in, in this spiritual game that there's nothing to develop. They don't grow into higher states of consciousness. They're already within perfect mm -hmm. and complete. They just have to be unfolded or discovered or rediscovered or whatever. And uh, it's, it's not a matter of, of growing from something inferior into something superior. That's a completely wrong, wrong notion of spirituality. Mm -hmm. If you want to get to these states of being, um, that's one misconception I often encounter when I work with people. I read a quote from Ramana Maharshi the other day, and he said, um, "He said there are no levels of awareness, but there are levels of experience." Yeah. In other words, awareness is it is what it is, but there could be a you know, great range of levels of experience of that, you know, and degrees of appreciation or realization of that. Yeah, that's how it is. Yeah. I think there's a lot of times in some teachings there is a confusion of levels. You know what I mean? It's, it's like the teacher or the, the speaker sees from his level of experience that maybe everybody's perfect and there are no levels of awareness and so on and so forth. And then he offers that description of his experience as a prescription to people you know and in a way it's it sort of discouraged this, them from or uh, from actually pursuing in a diligent way the unfoldment of their experience because it sort of tends to lull them into a sense of complacency that oh you know it's all there's nothing to gain it's all just you know the self and yeah yada yada in the cosmic consciousness in the pure being state, you can you can very easily imagine that there's nothing more than this, uh -huh. because you have this state which negates everything, right? Uh, and you definitely have this, not this, not this, nitty nitty, nitty nitty attitude to everything. And therefore, in this state, you might not want to work with Kundalini, for example. Mm -hmm. Because people in this state would say, oh, Kundalini is just an experience. Right. It's a phenomena. And it is definitely a phenomena for a while, but it culminates in that unity. 
which is not accessible in any other way. Mm. And one has to understand what Kundalini is. Maybe I should talk a bit about that. Sure. Um, Kundalini is is, uh, is not a restricted energy within the uh, body, mind, astral system, wherever it's, it's located. It's a condensation of the self, like a contraction. And as such, it contains the essence of your ignorance. Um, and because it contains the essence of your ignorance, it upholds your structure as ignorance. It is, it's the energy of the self constricted as you. Hmm. And you function from this level of uh, where Kundalini has descended to, so to speak. And Kundalini can then rise up and, or send energy. It doesn't rise, but it sends energy up to the chakras. So you function on more level than the lowest. But the level of contraction of Kundalini defines your level of consciousness. So as, as Kundalini begins to unfold, this contraction evaporates or dissolves. Um, and at one point it returns back to the pure being which happens in the brain when the crown chakra opens and because Kundalini is contracted awareness individualized awareness I-ness is a contraction of everything that you are it contains the essence of your ignorance and at the same time the essence of your potential realization Kundalini is, because of this knowledge Kundalini has of your ignorance, the source which can unfold your ignorance and give you enlightenment. You follow me? I think so. I think I got about 90% of that. Okay. <laughs> um, so, are, are, yeah, when, when the Kundalini has totally risen up to the head, yeah. has, has it become completely unconstricted? Yeah. So there's no longer any contraction. No. And so this, I think the way you said it, it sort of contains your ignorance in its contracted state. So then when it's completely unconstricted, your ignorance has dis completely dissipated. Yeah, and the Kundalini snake goes away. It dissolves into pure being. So there is no more Kundalini phenomenon no. oh, once, it it, once it's completed its course. Yeah, it goes away. Huh. Sometimes teachers... Um, warn against any sort of intentional manipulation of Kundalini or attempt to rise, raise it because they say you know it can get you into trouble you can go crazy you know it can get misdirected and, and cause all kinds of health problems and what not um, in fact I have a couple of people wh whom I've interviewed who had profound Kundalini awakenings and one of them almost died because she, she was going through so much her body was down to like 70 or 80 pounds and you know she couldn't eat or anything eventually she worked through that so what would you say as a cautionary note um, hmm. I don't really have much to say mm -hmm. I can say my progress has been fortunate and uh, my impression of Kundalini is that it's entirely benign it is it is entirely benign yeah so what about all these people getting into trouble I don't know uh -huh. honestly I'm, I'm being completely honest with you right now. I don't yeah. know. My experience is, is not like that. Right. I had periods with intense kriyas. Yeah. But I understood it as a transformational phase I had to go through. Yeah. 
And I know, of course, there are these two nadis, Ida and Pingala, on each side of the Sushumna and the spine. Right. And Gopi Krishna is the classic example of somebody who had Kundalini rise up against, up, up through one of the side channels. I think it was Ida uh -huh. or Pingala, never mind. It was one of them. And he, do you know his story? Gopi no, Krishna? I don't. Never heard of it. No, um, he he's a classic expo, ex, um, example of of a Kundalini awakening that goes wrong. Oh, and contemporary he or a long time ago? Uh, it was in the 60s, I think, or okay. 70s. And he he nearly died from it. Mm -hmm. But his solution was to meditate and visualize Kundalini entering the spine. Mm -hmm. And when he got it into the spine, it was a flow of bliss like the one I've described. Mm. And he's, he ends by saying that Kundalini is the greatest uh, blessing that can happen to somebody, the Kundalini awakening, even though he almost died from a misdirected Kundalini awakening. Huh. There's a, uh, a group here in the United States in Tennessee that, um, I forget what their tradition is, some Indian teacher, but they, their whole purpose is to help people whose Kundalinis are misdirected redirect them properly and a yeah. number of people I know have gone to that and s say they've gotten good results I've had a number of people come to me that have problems with Kundalini and they get Shaktipat and it tends to solve the problems Huh? do you ever do Shaktipat remotely like over Skype or anything or do you really need to be with the person <laughs> so the next question is could I do it now <laughs> well, yeah, if you want I don't want to disrupt the interview but um, no, you I know, have, in I, general I, I, I have been ha I've had success with it sometimes over messenger. Yeah. And um on the phone. Mm -hmm. Regularly on the phone. Right. Cuz like you yourself got that initiation from the the Indian lady from afar, you know. Yeah. But I I haven't experimented with that. Uh-huh. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I could, maybe I don't, I don't know. I haven't. Okay. But but over the phone that works very well. Yeah. And the messenger has worked also, but not as uh Messenger, you mean like video thing like Skype? No, 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 the uh, Microsoft network. Yeah, MS Messenger. Yeah, yeah, MS Messenger. Yeah. And um, in terms of your own continuing progress, since you, you, know, you say you're just sort of having glimpses of unity, and, you know, how do you see that as going? I mean, how, uh, if you look back a year ago, you know how much div uh, is there much contrast from then to now and you know you would anticipate an equal degree of contrast a year from now and so on is there is there a sense of continual unfoldment or development or clarification or however you'd like to put it there is and i would say that that definitely what i try to describe as mother's grace is becoming more intense divine mother's grace Divine Mother's grace is becoming more and more present in my life. Mm -hmm. And the bliss which I experienced for six years is somehow receding and being replaced by this intense unity with Mother, hmm. Divine Mother. Is there any sense of loss or is, is it a... Is it a is no it loss. An it's an upgrade. It's an upgrade, yes. Conversion <laughs> 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 7-6. <seven>, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> interesting yeah do you do you sort of feel like at some point there's going to be some kind of grand finale completion sort of thing where there's a breakthrough into complete unity 24/7 yeah yeah 
Definitely. What is your intuitive sense of, you know, how close that might be? Oh, oh, I wouldn't want to talk about that. Okay, it's probably <laughs> hard to say. And it's hard to say, and I'm yeah. too, you know, uncertain about it. Sure. And when that, uh, not to get too speculative on you, but when that does happen, do you feel like that'll be the end of the story, or do you feel like there'll be a new horizon? It'll be the end of one story. Uh-huh. Definitely be the end of the story that's going on right now and for the past since I was born. And I think there'll be a new story that unfolds afterwards. Huh. And it'll be a story of um, greater, should we say, empowerment. Uh, the Shakti pet phenomena is only just beginning. Mm. That will unfold a lot afterwards. Mm-hmm. And um, the ability to work with other people will become very, very much more profound and, and uh, effective. Mm. That's for sure. And you do seem to have a motivation to do that. Absolutely. It's not like you're just going to sit by yourself and enjoy no, it. No, no, yeah. no. No, no, uh. that's what it's all about. That's the fun of it. <laughs> yeah. Sitting with other people and, you know, just putting your hand on their knee and they freak out and bliss. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> yeah. just, just don't try it on a public bus or something. <laughs> no. <laughs> huh. Since we've referred to Maharishi a lot in this conversation, you know, one other um, development that he alluded to was that he said, you know, as he defined unity consciousness, it was this thing you've described where you, you know, you feel a... a a unity with the sense with the object of perception you know total that I am that is me and I am the, you know you see the self in that right um, and what he said was that as as that matures there's a sort of an expansion of the circumference so initially it may be the primary object of perception then the secondary then the tertiary and so on until eventually it just expands out to encompass everything the whole universe and then the, the, he referred to that as brahman consciousness or a kind of a more sort of profound level of wholeness or completeness or something wow does that ring a bell <laughs> i can only say wow no it doesn't ring a bell huh. <laughs> it's, it's beyond me does it can you sort of sense a that it might go that way i mean is, yeah. there, a, is there a sense of the expansion of the yeah, circumference definitely. of unity taking place in your experience absolutely huh Cool. There is, yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, I think we've we've covered quite a bit. Um, is there anything yeah. else that you feel like you know you might like to mention that we haven't covered? No, this is my life story and what's going on, and I think we've covered everything. I don't yeah. know what what is missing. No. Huh. Yeah, you're the kind of guy it might be interesting to check back with you in a few years and uh, yeah. <laughs> you know see what's happening because it does hey, seem to be part thing. Yes, I've written a book. Okay, and it's being published first uh, of November. Oh right, yeah, we were talking about that. We were thinking of waiting until then to do the interview yeah. or something, but I'm glad we went ahead. It's called Love Bliss: The Essence uh -huh. of Self-Realization. Cool. And you can well. get it on Amazon already. You can pre-order it. Uh huh. And then they'll s good. So we'll uh, when I put up this interview on on the, my website, I will link to that Amazon page, and and people Thanks. can people yeah. can pre-order it. Great. And of course, to your website. And uh, there's some interesting things to read on on your website. Um, 
you know, basically a, a written account of what we've been saying here, but also some interesting discussion about Kundalini and stuff. Do you have some kind of email newsletter that people sign up for, anything like that? No, I've been very um, private with all yeah. this, so this, this is a bit of a step forward for me to make an okay. interview like this. So, so far you were kind of a local phenomenon in Copenhagen or local something. Local phenomenon in Copenhagen, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And, well, it remains to be seen what, what destiny happens. will bring you. Yeah. yeah. Great. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation, and yeah. um, I'm glad we were able to do it. We had some technical challenges, as often we do, but it worked out. So, uh, thank you again, and um, just to refresh listeners' uh, memory, there's, um, you know, this is part of an ongoing series of interviews, which I think this is number 78 or so. And um, if you go to batgap.com, B-A-T-G-A-P, which is an acronym for Buddha at the gas pump, you'll see them all, and you can sign up for an email newsletter to be notified each one and each time a new one is put online. You can also uh, subscribe to this as a podcast if you prefer to just listen in audio. And there's also a discussion group there where almost every time I put up one of these new videos, people start posting comments and then uh, discussion ensues. And sometimes the, uh, the person I've interviewed jumps in and, and answers questions and all. Um, so I'll notify you, Jen, if anybody you know starts oh, posting like do. that. Yeah, you might want to hop in there and make yeah. a few comments. Sure. Good. So thanks. Um, and thanks to our listeners, our viewers, and we will see you next time. I think my next one, I, uh, I'm often wrong when I announce the next one because things change, but I think it's going to be um, Benigno Massaro, who is a very uh, bright young Dutch fellow, about 22 years old, um, and uh, I'll be talking to him next week. So thank you all, and we'll see you next time.